Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. I'm going to share tonight, and I probably have never been more excited to share the Word of God than I am tonight. I've been doing this thing for a little while now, but I want to tell you, for some reason, I am more excited about preaching tonight than I've ever been in my whole entire life. I do. I feel really excited because we are midway through an incredible series that my wife started entitled The Usual Suspects. And The Usual Suspects are things that we're looking at that can derail you in life. I remember recently, when I say recently, a couple of years ago, when I was in hospital with a blood infection, and the moment they found out it was a blood infection, they started asking me some questions. They started asking me some real personal questions. They sort of asked me about my family history. And I felt like saying, back off, it's my business. But no, they wanted to know. Because when it comes to blood infection, sometimes it has things to do with your family history. And then they got real personal. This was the next question. This is the second question they asked me. They said, uh, Mr. Rainbow, and at that moment, Andre was in the uh, room and my wife was in the room. They asked those two to leave. We got the family history out the way. Then came question number two. They got uh, Andre and Kath out. I mean, not even my wife could say. He says, Mr. Rainbow, I I need an honest answer. Have you had sexual relations with either a man or a woman other than your wife. And honestly, for me, the, 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 the whole thing just appalled. I, I just like, oh, oh, I just like. And I, I, I was shocked. And I said this, this is what came out of my mouth. I said, I'm a pastor. I thought that might get me off the hook asking some of his questions. And I said it kind of like with a giggle, like a nervous giggle, like, what are you going to do to me? Like, I, said, I said, no, I'm a pastor. And he goes, I'm going to ask you the question one more time and I need a serious answer. And I was like, oh, he's serious. And I'm like, uh, okay. Um, he says, I'm going to ask you again. He says, have you ever had sexual relations with a man or woman other than your wife? And I said, no. <laughs> and then he says, um, do you have a drug addiction? Have you ever injected drugs into your system? I'm like, what? I'm a pastor. <laughs> said it again. And he said, seriously, I need an answer. And I start thinking, my goodness me, has my reputation been that tarnished that they're the questions you want to ask me? But then I realised it wasn't personal. It was just the usual questions they ask of anyone who has a blood infection because a blood infection comes from somewhere and in order to find out where it came from, they start with the usual areas. And that's what this whole series is about. We're going to look at some of the usual things that can derail you from an incredible life. I want you to know that God loves every one of us in this room as He does every one of us in this community, as He does every one of us in this city, state, nation and world. God doesn't love us more tonight because we're in church and others aren't. He loves the whole world. He's got the whole world. Right, you can preach later. I'm preaching now. Um, and he does, he loves the whole world. He doesn't love you more or me more just because we're in church. He loves the world. He's madly and passionately in love 
with the world and He wants you to have the most incredible life and He's put things in you and He's designed you on purpose for a purpose and His desire is that you would come into a relationship with Him, that you would find freedom, that you would discover your gifts and that you would make a difference in life. That's what God wants for each and every one of us. But things get in the way that can derail God's plan for our life, even as Christians. Do you know that? And so whether you're a Christian here tonight or you're not a Christian, you are all welcome. And this message is for each and every one of us. As we started looking at some of the things that can derail us, be it as Christians or as non-Christians today. And my wife was amazing. I mean, isn't she amazing? I mean, when she gets back tomorrow, I'm going to look her in the eye and say, baby, I love you and I missed you. And the rest I'll leave up to your imagination. But <laughs> sorry for that, kids. It's okay. <laughs> uh, my wife, she is amazing. And she kicked off this series and talked about the first usual suspect being that of comparison the curse of comparison. And then last week, she just did an amazing job and she looked at offence. And I want to encourage any one of you to get online, to get on podcasts and listen to these messages, not just once, but listen to them again and again and actually use them as a tool to place in people's hands because these messages are life-changing messages and they will help to set you free and keep you free. And tonight... Uh, off the back of talking about offence last week, we're going to look at this little thing called unforgiveness. This is why I feel so excited about preaching tonight because this is a massive uh, uh, thing in our lives that can derail us. And I believe some of the things I want to share tonight can help us unlock our potential in God. You see, many years ago, I remember um, playing uh, video games with Mitch when he was much younger. Mitch actually has got this little thing. He says, Dad, is it every week that you have to decide whether you're going to pay me out, tease me as your one and only son, or are you going to tell us the story about how you and Mum met? Which one is it going to be this week? And so Mitch, just so for your, we're going to tease you tonight. So anyway, um, just, just to settle that, okay. But... Um, Long story short, we were playing this game and it was Lego. It was one of those Lego things and the kind of Darth Vader had to get somewhere. And I was told by Mitch that I was Darth Vader. And I remember playing and the more I was playing, the more frustrated I got because everything I was trying to get Darth Vader to do, he just wasn't doing. And I got more and more frustrated because I, I, I seemingly you know, wasn't in control of Darth Vader. And then I looked over to Mitch who had a smile on his face because he was in total control of my man. <laughs> I, I was no longer in control because someone had the control of my, my little avatar, Darth Vader. And I remember looking over to Mitch and say, give me the control back, for I am your father. You know, just kind of like, something like that. I, I can't remember exactly. But uh, it is, it's an incredible picture of what unforgiveness is like. Unforgiveness takes control of our lives. Many lives have been hijacked through unforgiveness, be it spiritually, emotionally, relationally, physically. Even medical profession acknowledges the connection between unforgiveness and its negative effects on our health. So my question tonight is this, no condemnation, but it's a good question to ask at the beginning of my message, who or what is controlling your life? Is it a coach 
from many years back? Is it a parent? Is it an ex-spouse? Is it someone who said something or did something to you that you can't and or won't forgive? Or maybe you want to, you just don't know how to forgive. And if either of these scenarios is true for you tonight, here's the good news, you're in a great place. Because I'm trusting not only my words, but the presence of the Holy Spirit will help to set us free again tonight. I'm believing prophetically that God wants to push the reset button on some of our lives and give us a fresh start tonight. How does that sound? Let's pray together. Father, I thank You for Your Word. Your Word has the ability to divide between joint and marrow, soul and spirit. And I ask You right now to anoint my words. And I pray, dear God, that every eye in this place will be opened, that You'd soften every heart, that You'd open every mind, that the Spirit of God may have access into our lives to do what only He can do. And we ask that today in Jesus' Name. And everyone said... Amen. I'm going to quickly read a portion of Scripture and I want to read from the book of Matthew. Matthew was one of the 12 disciples. He was one of those cool dudes who got to see everything Jesus did and everything Jesus said. And when Jesus went to heaven, he lived for many years after that. But as he was nearing his death, he thought, I've got to write some of the stuff that I saw and heard down. And so what we're about to read today is the stuff that one of the 12 disciples, Matthew, actually penned and put pen to paper. And in Matthew chapter 18, this is what he wrote. He said, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven? Which is a great number, particularly if you're a Christian. And Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Jesus answered Peter, but then he went on to tell a story. Jesus was an amazing storyteller. In order to highlight a point, he just told illustration after illustration after illustration. We know of those things today as parables, but Jesus just kind of wanted to use them as examples based upon what he just said. And it says, As they began to settle, a man who owned him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that had been sold be repaid the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. The, master, uh, the servant's master took pity on him, cancelling the debt, and he let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarius. He grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until the day he could pay back the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called in the servant, you wicked servant, he said, I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have shown mercy on your fellow servants just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owned. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each and every one of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. 
Jesus answers Peter's question, how many times should a man forgive someone by not only answering it, but by telling a story. And the story he told is quite amazing. He said there was this man who had a massive debt. And that debt, and it depends on which commentary you study, but that particular debt could be anywhere in the vicinity of 10 to $100 million today. That's a big debt, one that many of us could not service. I'm sure you would agree. And he could not pay it back. It wasn't just unmanageable. It was impossible for him to pay back. And he said to his master, please, he begged. He said, uh, can, can, can you please be patient with me? And, and I will pay back what I owe you. And the master, so gracious, so kind, so caring, so loving, says, okay, I'm actually going to cancel your debt. I know that you can't pay it anyway. This is the gospel. Every one of us has a debt we could not pay. And we have a master. His name is Jesus. And he looks at us with empathy. He looks at us with grace. He looks at us with love. And he says, you know what? You can't pay it back. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to forgive you. Now, you would think that moment that that guy would get up and say, oh my gosh, what just happened? I've been forgiven. This debt I could not pay. He's, he's just let me go. You'd think he would be forever grateful, wouldn't you? But no, this, this, master, this servant goes off and finds another servant who owes him the equivalent of a hundred bucks. He's just had a debt cancelled of 10 to a hundred million dollars. And now he's after a hundred bucks. And he starts to choke him. Just give us my money, you owe me. And he had him locked up. And the servants, the fellow servants who saw this, went to the master and said, that guy that you let off is acting like a real jerk. He's actually taken one of our friends and put him in jail over a hundred bucks. And yet you forgave him of millions of dollars. This is the story. And as we read the story, it seems ridiculous, doesn't it? Who would do that? Can, can, I, can I let you in on a little secret as who does that? We do that. This wasn't a story that Jesus was telling Peter for Peter. He was telling it to each and every one of us who have ever lived this planet because we tend to be like that. For some reason, we find it really, really hard to forgive, don't we? We just find it hard to forgive. And I started thinking, well, what is it about forgiveness that is so hard? And I just got a quick list of some enemies of forgiveness. The first one is simply self-deception. When we rationalise things away, when we play the blame game, when we say, oh, if you knew how, you know, my upbringing and what my mum did to me or what my dad did to me or what my pastor did to me. And I get that. I tell you why I get that. Because I'm a middle child. I know what it is to be overlooked. I know. I know, if anyone can play the blame game, it's us middle children. I mean, it's tough. It is tough. You should try it. Any middle kids out there, we're going to have a line up and pray for each and every one of you for healing to take place in Jesus' Name. But self-deception is one of the reasons that makes forgiveness so hard. Secondly, self-defence. We, we, we want revenge. We want justice. I'll get you back. I'll pay you back. And forgiveness is an act of faith. We have to learn to trust God. That's what makes it so hard. 
Thirdly, self-image. I'm not going to lower myself to that place of actually forgiving you or saying I was wrong or, or saying I was sorry. People may, my age may appreciate this, but there was a little sitcom back in the day called Happy Days and, and one of the stars of the show in Happy Days was Fonzie and Fonzie was one of the cool dudes uh, back in that show, uh, but he had a bit of an image problem and uh, he struggled to say he was wrong. And whenever he recognised he was wrong, he would do this. He'd go, I'm sorry, I was rude. I was rude. Sam's laughing because she's there. She was right. She, was, she remembers it. But I, I think there's a bit of Fonzie in all of us. We, we struggle to admit when we've done the wrong thing because it dents our image, particularly in this image age in which we live. I mean, we don't even like posting a bad photo. You know, it's got to be filtered. It's got to have all these extra things on it these days. And, and the last enemy to forgiveness is just this one of self-protection. We want to protect ourselves in order to not get hurt again. And so we just put a wall up. And I, I'm really praying and believing that some of the walls that we've built in order to protect ourselves from not getting hurt again might come down. Because when we build these walls in order not to get hurt, we actually create more hurt because we isolate and separate ourselves from that which matters most, and that is relationships. When God created Adam, he said it's not good that man be alone because we were designed for relationship. And there's some quick enemies of forgiveness. But what I really want to focus on tonight is some things to remember about forgiveness. And I trust and pray that these four things that I want to quickly look at will hopefully help us and set us free and set us on a course for freedom ongoingly. The first one is simply this. When it comes to forgiveness, remember this. Forgiveness is for you. It's, it's for you. I feel like I'm giving you a gift today because that's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is a gift. And when we forgive, we're giving ourselves a gift. And the gift we're giving ourselves is a gift of freedom. See, forgiveness is more for the one who has been offended than the one who caused the offence. That's why forgiveness is so powerful. You see, this man in the story, he owned 10,000 talents. In other words, he had a, a debt that he could not pay and it was cancelled. But his unwillingness to forgive others put him back in prison. He was about to go to prison because of this debt, but because of the forgiveness extended to him, he was set free. And how he used his freedom was to go and choke a fellow brother and choking a fellow brother ended him getting back in prison. And every time we choose not to forgive someone, we end up putting ourselves back in the cell, back in the prison. We end up imprisoning ourselves. And so when we forgive, we're actually giving ourselves the key to the cell in which we've placed ourselves to make sure that we are free because Jesus set, uh, uh, set us free. But what keeps us free is a life of ongoing forgiveness. Forgiveness is not something I want you to do for me. It's something I want each and every one of us to do for ourselves. Because the moment we choose to forgive someone, we get set free. We get set free and I'm trusting and believing that that's gonna take place tonight and ongoingly. Secondly, not only is forgiveness for you, but forgiveness moves us forward. See, unforgiveness causes us to get stuck. 
I've heard many people say this, I'll never forgive him. I'll never forgive them. I'll never forgive her. And so guess what happens? They never do. As a result of their confession, they never, ever forgive. And they talk about something that happened 10 years ago as if it happened only 10 minutes ago. You ever been around someone like that? They're talking about something. You say, oh my gosh, when did this happen? You're thinking, you know, where, where is this person? Let's see if we can sort this out. I don't see them anymore. That happened 10 years ago when I used to live in England. Like, what? <laughs> what? And we get stuck. We find ourselves unable to move on. And our life becomes like Groundhog Day, yeah. where it's the same day after day after day. You see, there is a difference between a season and a cycle. I want you to get this. There is a difference between a season and a cycle. A season changes with time. So right now, we're in between seasons. You can feel it, can't you? We're coming out of a cold, wet, dreary Adelaide winter season. But we know time is going to change that. Time is going to change the season. And right now, Norm's in his shorts and his T-shirts as a prophetic statement of the weather that's to come. A little bit premature for my liking, but I, I, I feel you, bro. I see where you're going. And in a few months' time, I'm with you, but not today. But you sense it. It's changing. It's going to get warmer. And, and because of the change in season, it's going to change what we wear. Are you with me? That's a season. And seasons change with time. But a cycle is different. With a cycle, time can change, but things don't. So with a season, we're wearing uh, big jackets in winter and T-shirts in summer. But with a cycle, you can wear your big jackets in winter and change into your T-shirts in summer, but you're still carrying the same offence. You're still carrying the same hurt. You're still carrying the same offence. And things don't change. Time changes, but things don't change. In other words, seasons are a time that are entered into and out of, where cycles are times that we enter into, but not out of. And a cycle is a season that we get stuck in. It's when time is changing, but my life is standing still. As I've already mentioned, it's like that hamster on the wheel, putting all the effort in, but nothing is changing. We're not getting any further ahead. It doesn't matter whether you go fast or slow, we're just not gaining any ground. It is like Groundhog Day. See, the word stuck means to be fixed in a particular position or unable to move or be moved. It's to remain in a static condition and failure to progress. This is what I know for me, and I know it's true for each and every one of us. You can't embrace your future if you're holding on to your past. Yeah, yeah, and forgiveness is taking your first step out of stuck. I want you to get this. Forgiveness is when we take our first step out of stuck. You may have been stuck for weeks. You may have been stuck for months. You may have been stuck for years. 
But I believe that if we would choose to forgive, we can step out of stuck. You see, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says it this way, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and He will forgive us of our sins and He'll purify us from all unrighteousness. It's an amazing thought. It also goes on to say in James chapter 5, verse 16, reading from the message, it says, Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful and to be reckoned with. The word confess in both of those scriptures means this, to say the same thing as God. So if we are going to get free, you've got to say what God is saying. And I'll tell you what God is not saying. It was your dad's fault. It's your wife's fault. It's your pastor's fault. It's the person, don't look at them, it's the person that you're sitting next to fault. That's what God's not saying. So every time we say, I needed that because they made me, God's saying, I'm not listening because that's not confession. Because that doesn't line up with what God is saying about the situation. What God is saying is, I love you. And what you've done wrong has put you in a prison. And if you'll acknowledge what you've done wrong, I'll set you free. That's confession. And so when we say, God, I've been an idiot. When that person said that thing or that person did that thing, I lost my temper. And me losing my temper is not their fault. Me losing my temper is my fault. Yeah. And I'm so sorry. Yeah. And God, I ask you to forgive me for losing my temper and saying some horrible things. But it's worse than that, Lord. It's not only what I said, it's what I didn't say. And I know you can read my mind and I just want to apologise not only for everything I said, but for everything I thought. Will you forgive me? God says, that sounds like a confession. And at that moment, God doesn't even have to open the door because you've opened it yourself. Because forgiveness is the key that opens the door to your prison and it's what helps you to move from stuck into your future. See, when we confess our sins to God, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Isn't that good news? So no matter what you've done, God is faithful and just to forgive you of what it is that you did. I find that incredibly empowering, that there's nothing that I can do that His sacrifice on the cross doesn't cover me for. And so when I find myself confessing, which is to say what He says about the situation, then I find I have absolute forgiveness. And that puts me right with God. But you know what? We live in a world of people. And so it's possible to be right with God, but not right with people. And that's where James chapter 5 comes in. He says, don't just confess to God. That will give you forgiveness. But in order to get healing and restoration, you need to confess to one another. See, when we confess our sins to God, we get forgiveness. But it's when we confess our sins to one another, we get healing. And again, confession is to say what God says. So you can't off the back of this, go to someone and say, hey, uh, 
I just want you to know that I forgive you because you were a jerk. That is not what God is saying. You've got to get this. That confession is saying what God says, not what you think He says. God is not here calling anyone in this room or this community, for that matter, a jerk. He's not. And He's not blaming the person for your actions. You have to take responsibility. I've told the story many times when I lost my call on Bondi Beach and uh, it's become a little bit of a story to tell. But uh, when, I, when I calmed down and I cooled down, the first thing I did, I, I said to God, I am so sorry. And I confessed my sin to God. And I honestly felt the forgiveness of God in that moment. I'm a pastor. I'm on Bondi Beach. I'm, I'm shouting at the top of my voice. I'm threatening people. It's just embarrassing. But I felt God forgive me. The trouble is I wasn't by myself. I had my wife with me. It was before BJ was born, so I had my two kids with me. And they saw it. Boy, did they see it. And I knew at that moment, I've got to get this right. I knew at this moment, if I'm going to have any respect or any future, I've got to get this moment right. And I thought, what would I do to get it wrong? I thought, if I went and said, hey kids, just want you to know, your mum made me do it. It's been driving me crazy lately. But I want you to know I love you kids. I thought, how can I get it wrong? I thought that was pretty much up there with how I could get it wrong. So how can I get this right? God, I need your help. And I remember James 5, just go and confess. Say what I said. And I remember getting on my knees to our kids. Because they were only little tackers. Mitchie was eight. Geordie was 10. And I said, kids, I want you to know your dad's so sorry. I'm so sorry for what I said and what I did. And at that moment, I knew that I had to take off something that I put on them. I put fear on them and I put fear in them. And I want to say, I want you to know, kids, the church didn't make me do this. You know, I've studied this for a long time and I, I, I wonder why, why is it that people get to 18, 19, 20 that grew up in the church and they're no longer in the church? And I, I know some of that's because of a newfound freedom and they get to drink and they get to drive and so there is a freedom attached that plays as part of that. But I wonder, I just wonder how many parents have put things on their kids about the church for years that the moment they are free where they don't have to go anymore. They just choose, I'm out. And then they blame the church when really it's actually been parents who haven't done this forgiveness thing right. So I knew I've got to get this right. If I want my kids to be in church at the age 20, 25, 30, until their latter years, I've got to get this right. And I want you to know this was nothing to do with the church. The church didn't make me do this. That Mick Roberts, he didn't make me do it. Andre didn't make me do it. Katie may have, but... I, <laughs> I said, the church didn't make me do it. And I said, I want you to know this. Your mum didn't make me do it. Why do so many young people not want to get married? Because they've seen what marriage looked like for their mum and dad. And I, 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 I realised I've, I've, I've got to take a hit. I've got to take a stand for marriage. 
And so I want you to know, your mum is awesome. She did not make me do this. And then I, I know kids, when they're young and, and can't quite understand things, they can take a lot of blame themselves. And I said, and I don't want you to blame yourself. This has nothing to do with you. You guys are amazing. You didn't drive me to this. You're amazing kids. I love you dearly. You did not drive me to this. Mum didn't drive me to this. The church didn't drive me to this. I said, this was me doing it all by myself. I'm that good at being this bad. And I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? I'd already got forgiveness from God. But I felt in that moment, I got healing and restoration with my family. Because I confess to God and I confess to my family. What does confession mean? It means you better say the same thing. I can promise you this. If I just threw my wife under the bus at that moment, my kids might have been okay with that, but my wife, I would have had a problem. Would you agree? Would you agree? I, I love being a dad. I love being a husband. And I've got to be honest with you, it's one of the easiest parts of my life. And what makes it easy are these moments. I just thought, man, it's just better. It's just better just to forgive and ask for forgiveness. I, I just every day, Lord, I say, honey, I'm sorry for what I'm about to do today. I'm just, you know, just, I just want to keep us good. It's so important that we say what God is saying about our sin. Because when we do that, there's incredible freedom. There's incredible power that takes place. I'm sure you'd agree. Thirdly, forgiveness is forever. Come on, Ben, come up here. That'd be great. Forgiveness is forever. Peter asked, how many times should I forgive, Lord? And Peter was pretty chuffed with himself because he actually answered it. Peter was one of those guys. He asked a question and then answers it. All the teachers in the room, they hate that. They're like, oh, why are you asking me if you already know the answer? And Peter thought he was being pretty good because the rabbis of the day kind of had a thought. If you could forgive someone three times, you were being really holy. So Peter doubled it and added one. And so he thought he was pretty safe with that answer. So he was actually kind of showboating a little bit at that moment. He says, how many times, Jesus? <laughs> I know. I know. Watch this, guys. Seven times, right? And at that moment, I'm sure the disciples, whoa, that's a big ask. Seven. <laughs> Twice what's expected, plus one. Woohoo! And Jesus says, no. 70 times 7, which equals 490 times, which isn't the number he was talking about. He was saying, always and forever. How many times should you forgive your wife? Always and forever. How many times should you forgive your kids? Always and forever. How many times should you forgive your pastor? Always and forever. Because forgiveness is forever. If you want to stay free for the rest of your life, then forgive always and forever. Keep doing it until the day you die. And I want you to know, young ones, when you, when you get a little bit older and you have your wives, families and kids and all that, wives, how many are you going to have? No, uh, just when you get married and have children, that's what I'm trying to say. You think, oh man, when I'm a bit older, I'll know everything. You know what? You're always going to make mistakes. And this is what I love about the gospel. It's so beautiful that he gives us 
an opportunity to make amends even when we've blown it. The last point tonight is simply this. Forgiveness leads to forgetfulness. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, you've got to get this. This is amazing. It says, but I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. In other words, God not only forgives, He also, drop the mic, forgets. <laughs> he forgives and He forgets. In other words, God has an incredible forgettery. And so when we confess our sins to God, and then the devil makes us feel bad about what we did a year ago. And so, oh God, I'm so sorry about the Bondi. He says, what? What? I, I, I want you to know, I blew it on that day, but I've only ever apologised for it once. I've told it lots to encourage people, to help people, to let them know the key to staying free. I've told it lots, but I've only ever apologised for it once. Because for me to bring it up to God and say, God, I just want to know, I'm so sorry about Bondi. What? what, what? What do you mean Bondi? What? What? Because he just, he, just, he just chooses to forget it. He throws it into the sea of forgetfulness. It's just, it's just a, such a cool thing. And I think one of the strategies of the enemy is to keep reminding you so that you keep reminding God. And God's like, what? What? And we call that prayer. It's not prayer. It's taking the bait of a scheme the enemy sets a trap for us. Because forgiveness leads to forgetfulness. And, and here's the cool thing. If, if God can forgive and forget, guess what? And we become more like Christ. You start thinking and finding in your life, you become more like Jesus. And I've got to be honest with you. God has so graced me through putting this practice into operation again and again and again that I've developed a really good forgettery. I honestly, I, I, this has happened many, many times over the years that I've been involved in ministry. People have come to me uh, months later, years later, sometimes, sometimes a decade later, and they've apologised. I said, I just want you to know, Tony, I'm so sorry that I did this. And you don't know, but I was saying this and I was doing this behind. I'm like, really? I, I can't even remember. Some of the most painful seasons of my life end up just, I don't even remember. And that's not normal. And it's certainly not my nature. It's taking on the nature of God. And so I'm not here to twist your arm tonight. I'm not here to make you do anything other than just ask you this one question. If you could be set free from unforgiveness and the tyranny that's attached to it, would you say yes? If there's something that you could do to unlock you from this Groundhog Day existence, this staying in stuck existence, would you respond? Because God loves you so much that He actually came to planet Earth and showed the world what God the Father meant when He said, don't do this, don't do that. And He lived a sinless life knowing that we couldn't. And He went on the cross and died a horrific death, one that He did not deserve to pay a debt He did not owe. Why? Because we had a debt that wasn't unmanageable, but was impossible to pay back. And God in His grace and mercy knew that. So He said, I'll pay it for you. I'll pay it for you. And all I ask is that in return, 
you would do the same for others. And, and, and what you find hard to do in your own strength, my nature is going to come in you. You're going to have a new nature to be able to do what you otherwise could not normally do. This is New Testament Christianity. Christianity is not do this and don't do that. It's not a list of rules and regulations. I don't want to be a church that's known for what we're against or what we don't do. I want to be a known as a church that, that struggles, that, that, that is broken, that struggles in our brokenness. But because of God and our new nature, we find ourselves doing things that we otherwise could never have done. I know me, I can get as bound up as anyone else in my own thoughts. But to have this forgettery because I'm taking on the nature of Christ, it's a miracle. And that miracle isn't just for me, it's for each and every one of us. This is the Gospel. This is the good news. This is why angels in heaven worship Him day and night and saying, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. And that's why we get an opportunity as people here on planet Earth just to join in and sing with the angels and declare His goodness because there's never been a person who's ever walked the earth like Jesus. No one, no one. And He did what no one else has done. Why? Because He's madly and passionately in love with you as He is with me. And He doesn't want your unforgiveness to rob you of another second of your life. He's the one who came to set you free. And if we would live a life of unforgiveness, it will keep us free. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au.